Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's why on your favorite podcast platform, it reads Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. And that is at least the 153rd time I've said that. And um, I, I wonder if I say that in my sleep, that I have <laughs> a weird network in my name that is the misspelled version of the word believe. And uh, if that is true, what a nightmare. Um, <laughs> anyways, enough of that, Michigas, and on to this week's guest. So excited to have them all the way uh, from the UK, uh, rising star in UK comedy, um, and brand spanking new winner of the OnlyFans, you heard that right, OnlyFans, Creators Fun for Comedy in its second season. Please give it up for Mary O'Connell, everybody. Hey! <laughs> Hi, good evening. Yeah, it's evening. It's evening over here. <laughs> yeah. How is it going, Mary? It's good. It's very good. I um it's been very surreal, sort of like because the competition was obviously so insane, but there had been a bit of time. We we shot it in November. Okay. So um uh, and so seeing all the episodes come out, it's like, oh, I'm I'm reliving it. I've sort of like I'd kind of it was almost like a dream, right. um, but I'm watching it back and I'm like, I was there. Right. <laughs> that, that was me. I was there. Yeah. And you've um, already processed and yeah. yeah. Well, that is so personally for me, one of my least favorite things in entertainment is the waiting for anything, whether it's good news mm-hmm. or bad news. In fact, if it's bad news, just tell me immediately and I'll deal with it rather than just wait. So how do you just like win and then have to keep your mouth shut like how does that feel <laughs> um it was very tricky to do because because it was pretty known about in the in the sort of like the uk comedy scene the london comedy scene definitely uh, um because the prize money was so huge and and lots of my friends applied and there was a review of the final on this website called chortle which is like where where we get all our comedy news where they oh, do yeah. like lots of reviews and stuff so it's like it's only really like comedians read it um, <laughs> same with the comedy bureau <laughs> um but they'd sort of like um they'd written about the final and so people knew that i'd done it and they knew i was in the final but i couldn't say that i'd won uh, um and so that was tough you were like I was allowed to tell like my family and uh, like you know like close friends and stuff but right. I almost blurted it out at a gig one time I didn't but I almost I was very close I was running out of material I was like right. oh, maybe I should tell a story um, <laughs> oh just, just change it so yeah there's Pornhub had a comedy contest <laughs> and they get this guys they didn't allow porn <laughs> um so I mean, I think this might be a little sort of uh, surprising for some listeners. Uh, So if you don't mind, like, tell me how this OnlyFans comedy contest came about, how your involvement came about, um, 
and how you like beat everyone. <laughs> sure. Um, so I remember seeing the application for it in like September. So um, Jamali Maddox, one of the judges of the competition, um, he posted about it. Uh, and, and, you know, I remember him making a joke that um because the top prize was at that time 50k and the two runners up get 25k each and the top prize then was right. way too much money for comedy uh -huh. even even 25k even the runner-up prizes is the biggest like it's more than any other comedy competition in the uk right. like we have um we've got maybe like british comedian of the year and i think their prize is like 10k it's like 10k and one pound because they're right. trying to beat another competition where the prize right. money is just 10k um, <laughs> that rivalry going on but wow. the runner-up prize is over double um the biggest one in the uk so mm -hmm. and i saw um i i applied i have like uh, um, I was already, I'm, I'm writing an Edinburgh show called Money Princess. That was already a thing before I did the OnlyFans um, competition. That was already the title of my show. Um, mm -hmm. So it's weird and ironic now because I'm writing about money anxiety and then I just won a bunch of money. But, um, yeah. Um, but I got a message from, um, I applied, I didn't hear anything back for quite a long time. Um, I got a message from um, Sophie Hagen, who's associated with the competition, right. uh, on maybe Monday. And they asked me if I'd heard anything from OnlyFans. And I was like, no. And then the, on Tuesday, they were like, what's your number? OnlyFans want to talk to you. And so they called me up and they're like, we want you to be in the competition. It's a six-day shoot. It starts tomorrow. We want you to check into the hotel tonight. And... So I just sort of had to make a decision within a few hours, really. I was, uh -huh. I was, I was here, I was at my office and I was just sort of like saying to all my colleagues, I was like, should I do it? Like, should I, like, because <laughs> they'd also, they'd been with me when I applied as well. I was like, guys, I'm going to apply to this wild competition that I've just seen. Right, right. Um, Did you tell them it was OnlyFans? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, they've always been like very, very supportive of me um, because I, before I sort of, joined the team here I did a writer's residency here like mm -hmm. as a sort of as a writer performer mm -hmm. and so they understand that occasionally I might have to take off time off work to compete in um, <laughs> reality tv competitions sure. run by um uh, subscription platforms <laughs> <laughs> they know that that sort of thing could just pop up right 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 what's your experience with OnlyFans previous to this competition i mean no shade for whatever this answer is <laughs> honestly very little experience with only fans like i uh, um i might like i think i follow like a few people on twitter who like also do only fans and i'm like whoa there's like a lot of nudity on twitter and i'm like and i'm like oh i'm tempted but i don't think i just like um in terms of like subscription services i'm like i've got so many and so people really have to draw you in but i did get on tick when i first joined tiktok there was like one guy who just kept on i don't know he really got me he was like he was like a dad like i could tell he was a dad that like used to play football i could okay. i could see that in his right. aura and that right. might be my type and so uh -huh. <laughs> a former <laughs> footy dad yeah okay um and so i i i looked um like i click i think i clicked on the website but that's right. basically uh -huh. it 
Yeah. Um, you have you yeah. you don't know any like comedians who were on OnlyFans because I I know I personally know plenty of comedians that well some do OnlyFans for adult content as mm-hmm. a way to generate income but then others kind of do it as a gag where they're like oh I'm on OnlyFans but for like poetry. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know really anyone who used it in that in that way. I mean, I'm I'm definitely like I'm definitely using the platform now. Like now that I like 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 I'm like I have it. Like yeah, um, and you want a bunch and, of money. <laughs> yeah, I gotta <laughs> um, I gotta make use of it. But I'm also like so happy that like as a platform, they are kind of like taking these steps to. So, you know, like give power to creators because I've always I've always admired it, like just in terms of like um, like the fact that it is a very safe way to do sex work, especially in the time of the pandemic, especially like like I think just like people being able to like take some of that power back into their own hands. So I've always thought it was like quite cool that people could do that. Like, you know, you need like like some lingerie and a ring light and you're kind of like I mean, like I'm not trying to belittle it. I know that it's a lot more hard work than that. But like, those are things that that are accessible to get. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what? Tell me, tell us about the uh, the competition, which is available to watch, actually free of subscription on OFTV. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, was it? I I mean, I'm assuming you've watched Last Comic Standing at some point. Um. I don't have I watched Last Comic Standing. I'm not sure what I mean. It's it's pretty straightforward. It's so it's the American stand up like reality competition. It's uh, had a weird history. It's like Mm -hmm. been around for like nine seasons over Mm -hmm. probably 15 years. But like the first one, they all lived in a house and then had to do challenges, which was like so bizarre uh yeah. and like even though it wasn't like survivor people made alliances and stuff um which is so strange okay. and then they got rid of that and made it more just about stand up but it <laughs> ne- it never happens like every year but mm. um yeah i mean it it that's uh our stand up competition that exists over here but um, I, I it just reminded me of that because you know you have right, to like, okay. go up in different sort of scenarios and do stand up and maybe you have some challenges and there are people that guide you along and then there are judges that are comparable to I believe for this they had London Hughes, Jamali Maddox and Mae Martin who yes. is a global citizen I guess um May uh cuz May May's from Canada and then yes. they've lived in the UK and now they're in LA I think Oh, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know that. I know that they, like, I guess I've known them as, like, a UK um, comedian and a lot of their TV work has been, like, sort of, like, out of the UK. But, I mean, like, go for it. Like, London moved to LA, like, a few years ago and she's found so, so much success um, in in America because, unfortunately, they just sort of, like, aren't, like, there's a... The, the the glass ceiling for um women of color in the uk is just it's a lot lower <laughs> um like as well like i don't maybe i'm not using that metaphor correctly but like you there's a glass ceiling in america but you can be rich when you hit it right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, 
um, but over here there's just there's just less um, opportunities and so and so it's so like it's so amazing to see her succeed over there like it's really it's really inspiring that is, uh, um, amazing yeah I mean that is sort of like a big thing about a bunch of people who feel like they reach the as far as they're going to reach wherever they came up from in comedy mm -hmm. like uh and that's why they come risk it all in america ronnie sure, chang yeah. being, ronnie chang his last special he talked about like why he came here to america when he was like one of the biggest comedians back where he was from but it's like that still it didn't afford him the amount of money that he could make now yeah or even yeah. in canada uh, in Canada, I don't know if you know this, but um, the Canadian government sets aside money specifically to subsidize Canadian artists. And oh. it's mandated that on the air, whether I think it's radio or TV, there has to be a certain percentage of Canadian artists that are broadcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, th there's like, you know, government assistance for like getting exposure and developing. And even with that, there's so many comics from Toronto and Montreal that, and Vancouver mm -hmm. that move here because it's like, well, there's more money here. There's more money. There's more sort of like iconography. Like it's kind mm -hmm. of like if you make it in America, if you're seen as like a popular comedian with Americans, then you are just you're just a successful popular comedian kind of globally right. uh, um, and and because so much so much of stand-up mm -hmm. is um just comes from America like so many of the like the greats I mean are... it started here um yeah yeah like yeah. Uh, um, for sure uh, um I remember I don't know if, I don't know if this was a thing on um american tv but on british tv when i was growing up maybe in like what in the like 2000s 2010s like we used to have a lot of countdown shows where uh, they'd be like the 50 greatest magic tricks the 100 oh, sure. greatest stand-up yeah, comedians yeah. Like, and right. i remember i would watch those loads like i, right. I would watch like the 100 greatest stand-up comedians or maybe it was the 50 greatest stand-up comedians but i'd watch it loads mm -hmm. and loads and i would always sort of like um, because you know, like we've got, we, like the UK has our fair share. Oh but, yeah, for uh, sure. Like, but America's miles ahead of us in terms of like today, so much, so much further ahead. Right. Um, but like, because I guess like the because of money and there's room for creativity, and um, the UK is just like there's just not a lot of money. There's not a lot of money. Right. Uh, in doing, I mean, for everyone else, for me, I'm I'm good. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say that you're doing all right. I'm I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what's interesting is that yeah, that while there does seem to be more money, a, a, a thing that I a contrast that I've seen between comedy in America versus like the UK and Australia is mm -hmm. just the way that things are set up because of the Edinburgh Fringe and Melbourne, um everyone seems to be more geared towards doing an hour that's more like solo show ish. So there's like yes. narrative arc and there's mm -hmm. like consideration for that where if you're coming up in LA or New York here in America, you're mm -hmm. given like anywhere from three to seven to 10 minutes 
And you, yeah. er, everybody's hour is like a quilt of like, well, this is just like what I had and I just stitched it together. And, and that, there it is. <laughs> yeah that is like that is so interesting because um I'd never quite I didn't notice that until like I just started going to Edinburgh more and uh, um and realizing and basically thinking about my own Edinburgh hour or like what a show would look like because because this year is the first time I'm doing like an hour-long show and like and my sort of shows before have been all like work in progress is kind of like patchwork uh, um, like quilts like you described but uh, um, I think that we do the sort of narrative story arc through line mm-hmm. type of thing we do that well over here and I think um, in Australia as well they do that really well I think Nanette changed everything Nanette on oh, Netflix yeah. Hannah Gatsby's Nanette um, and then everyone else is kind of like oh I want to go on a journey I want right. to <laughs> right I want to tell a story as well <laughs> <laughs> sure Sure. Uh, well, for those who don't know, like who haven't done comedy in the UK, what was coming up in, I assume, London? You were coming up in London? Yes. Yeah. But what, what, I mean, like, is that a bunch of mics where you have to pay to play and you get very little time and it, you're playing to just comics and, uh, you know, maybe you have to bark on the street for clubs for stage time so I mean let me know <laughs> there's there is a lot of playing to other comedians that that is still a thing that's that's gonna be a thing for, forever for so long yeah like if I, like you know like any new material night like you know you have to accept that the crowds will just be smaller but so there is sort of like a pay-to-play type thing it's not super common um what's more common is um uh, what's called bringer gigs where, oh yeah we have those unfortunately yeah. yeah yeah you just sort of like you have a promoter who can't be asked to do their job and so <laughs> you like so you have to bring a friend in in order to be able to perform which is fine if you're like new and you're starting out and you're still like excited about it and you still sort of like have like hope in your eyes right. and like and your friends aren't like annoyed with you yet uh-huh. um, so, yeah. um but you're just gonna you're just gonna annoy all of your friends because they're just going to watch you do the same five minutes um, over and over again. Yeah. The thing about bringer gigs is they don't really, basically everyone there is just there as a favor. So no one really wants to be there. Oh, and and at best they'll like you and then nobody else. And I don't know about bringer gigs uh, out there, but what over here, there's usually like, 20 25 people on the lineup which is a bad idea what yeah because they want to increase the amount of people that come so they buy drinks so the club makes money etc 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 20 to 25 though like i think maybe max i've maybe seen them bring a gig where maybe there's like 18 uh-huh that's still that's still that's way too many way too many i mean huh that's way way too many just, just yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, i mean an ideal showcase show should be like seven or eight max you know yeah. 
But uh, yeah, I to anybody listening out there who hasn't done a bringer gate bringer show or whatever, you don't need to do them. They're like an open mic, but you feel like you're actually booked. And so your expectations are higher, even though it's a pretty awful experience. And yeah. um, I would say invite your friends to a show where they would want to come because everybody on the lineup is great. And then there's you. Exactly. Yeah. Very, very, very wise words. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I, I wonder... Uh, have you gotten to perform in America at all? No, I've never even been to the States. Oh, wow. Um, what do you, what do you so think I, of U.S. comedy just from over there? Well, I, um, I, because I've sort of like done Edinburgh um, mm. and like lots of U.S. comedians um, come, come, like come over here. Mm. Uh, um, I, I get to see them. Like I absolutely love um, Catherine Cohen. I think. She's, oh yeah, I think, she's wonderful. I think she's really, really funny. Um, I, I actually did. Uh, um, I don't know if you've heard of Zach Zucker. Oh, uh, I know. Uh, I'm friends with Zach. Are you? Oh my yeah. god! I did his clowning course. Oh wow! How was it? Was it intense? It was great. Oh my okay. god! It was so like. I mean, I, it was just sort of like all of us as a group just like laughing hysterically in a room for like four days. Right. Uh, um, but I really think, I think what he's doing is really, really cool. I'm sort of like, I'm not quite, I'm not a clown. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not. Sure. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah. I'd like to incorporate, like it, it made me feel, it, it opened me up to sort of new ways of performing that I didn't know I had in me. And Using um, your I definitely- body probably. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just standing statically yeah. at a mic stand. Yeah. 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 Stand up can be quite boring. And so I yeah. think that um what's good about the scene in London is that there is an alternative scene. It's not it's not it's not super diverse and it's still very small, but because the type of comedy that I do is maybe like a little bit of like a mixture of like alternative and mainstream. Because like, don't get me wrong, like if I'm on an alternative lineup, I'll still be kind of like the most straight edge person there. But uh, <laughs> my, my style isn't like, it's not exactly set up punch. It's not like the most right. traditional type right. of stand-up. Uh, um, and so I like doing like, I like doing lots of like different scenes. Um, but yeah, no, all... I love like US comedy. Yeah. Uh, what does alternative ma and mainstream mean to you? Because it's a weird, it's a, I feel it's weird blurly labels from where I'm standing. And a lot of people that are really alt perform mm -hmm. at clubs all the time if they're really funny. Yeah, that's the thing. I think like, I think, what does it mean to me? Because I think like, okay, say mainstream is like Michael McIntyre. Sure. Uh, or Jack um, Whitehall. Yeah, or Jack, yeah. like, but an alternative is, I don't think that James Acaster is necessarily alternative, but he's yeah, not I mainstream. Think, yeah. Um, but he's still, but he's so successful. But like, what right. he does is just like, it's just like a little bit different. Who is, who is alternative? Daniel Sloss seems like that too. I've not seen as much of him. I like, I remember, I remember when he sort of like, because he was so young when he first right. like got really, really big. Mm -hmm. um, um, I was someone. Uh, someone is. Oh, okay. sorry, go on. Oh, I was gonna say Stuart Lee is definitely alternative. Stuart Lee is alternative for sure. Someone like Paul Foot. Oh yeah, I, yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> I really I love Paul Foot. He was like the first comedian I think I ever saw live. Um, mm -hmm. I was like 15 mm -hmm. and um I'd seen him on an episode of like Never Mind the Buzzcocks. And uh -huh. I was kind of just like, I think this guy gets me. Like I think he just gets. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so I went to one of his secret shows, uh, um, which was it, was, it was so small. It was in like a room above a pub. And I went with my dad because I couldn't even be there, like, like legally. <laughs> um, so I took my dad with me to see Paul Foot when I was 15. Oh, damn. And how, wait, how'd you sneak in? Well, I mean, like, you can sort of, you can be there, like, just be like, I'm here to see a show, but I've never really been in a pub, like, on my own, like, without adults. Like, you can, some, like, sometimes you have, like, families and pubs if there's, like, food and stuff like that. But I'm like, I don't think I can just walk in this pub on my own, um, like, me as, like, this child and be like, just look at my ticket. Like, I was just a bit scared of the situation. Uh -huh. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, okay, so that's that's pretty comparable to what we have here. Although, again, like, so somebody like Rory Scovel, you know Rory? No. Rory is like he's had a Netflix special and the thing is and he is a real weirdo. He has some of my favorite sets on Conan cuz he'll like Oh, I recognize him. Right? He uh he'll <laughs> like there was one time he just like walked uh, they were doing it in a theater, so he just like walked into the audience and was standing on the chairs over the crowd uh and it looked like he was giving like a speech <laughs> to rally people it was really fun um mm. but he i mean he like plays kind of everywhere and mm -hmm. sometimes i feel like in a like people can sort of stifle themselves creatively when they try to think about whether they're alt versus mainstream when you should really just consider like what do you find funny and how do you connect to a crowd with that in a way that they'll laugh? Yeah, totally. I think like sometimes it can be too limiting, especially if you like play just one scene, then yeah. you kind of start to pander to that scene. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's really good to have variety. Um, so you sort of like you're staying true to yourself as a performer, but you're also trying to like you are trying to win over every crowd. Like you want every crowd to like you. Yeah. Like and like, you know, not every crowd is going to like you and that's OK. That's um, but but the aim is always for them to like you. Right, right. So in London, I mean, do you get up every night? What what's performing in London like on a weekly basis? I would say, um, if I'm being like super organized, I will be like gigging maybe three four nights a week. Cool. Uh, um, that's not quite like at the moment. Um, I'm maybe gigging like two three nights a week. Um, cause I'm also kind of like, I'm working on this Edinburgh show. So it's kind of like, sometimes I have to just spend evenings writing. Um, cause, cause I'm performing the show, but this is an hour show. I can't, I can't perform an hour every night. Right. Um, even though so that you have to for Edinburgh. <laughs> 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 uh, um, so I gig like maybe like two, three nights a week at the moment, Right. Um, and then that will sort of like it will pick up maybe a bit more towards the summer as well um, and then as Edinburgh where I'll be gigging literally every day um, and that's um, exciting but also like nerve-wracking at the same time like, sure. um, I've done Edinburgh before but as like you know I've done it as a student where we've just been mucking about I did a work in progress show there last year where I was just I was just mucking about but this is the this is the the debut hour. 
Oh, fun. So, wait, are those spots paid that you're like gigging about in London, or no? Um, some of them are. Some of them aren't. Okay. Yeah, that's that's about. Do you what? What's uh? I mean, what's what do you get paid for like a club versus maybe somewhere else? I mean, here in a lot of spots in LA, for like a ten minute set, you might get twenty, thirty bucks. Um, if you're mm -hmm. a store comedy store paid regular, it might be a little more, but mm -hmm. not much more than that. It really just depends. Like, say, like maybe a club set could potentially be like, say, like a club fifteen or twenty could be maybe like a hundred and fifty pounds, maybe up to two hundred. Maybe right. if you're MC, it could be like two hundred plus or like, like on like the it's weekend. Just, um, on a weekend, genuinely, I don't. Um, because I'm still uh, quite a, a new in the sort of like, I mean, I'm not super new, but like, I'm like a green performer. Uh -huh. I don't really get as many club weekends. Like I'd love to, to, to uh -huh. get more, but it's still right. kind of like something that isn't regular to me just yet. Right. Right. Um, I hear it. Yeah. I, I mean, it really, really varies and some spots you get, that aren't even at a club you might get paid more or um yeah, but they're harder to get into i also at the comedy store here in la which i know is not officially affiliated with the comedy store in london <laughs> uh if on the weekends in the main room i believe mm -hmm. the deal is because there's like 14 people on the show um they they just all divvy up the door so that's like three, four hundred. If they sell out, it's like I think over three hundred seats, at like twenty five a pop, and then mm. all of them divvy. The, and that's a great split. However, most people who are on that show don't need the money. <laughs> Which is, you know, well, okay. <laughs> All right, this is a first for this podcast. Uh, in 153 episodes, I have not done the news solo, but also in 153 episodes, the majority of which is on Zoom, I have not forgotten to press record, <laughs> uh, at least on the second half. Uh, I'm not saying that's what happened here. Uh, we're trying something new. Um, we, meaning me, uh, Jake Kroger, creator of the Comedy Bureau. Um, so we're going to do our news rundown, but you're just going to be hearing my voice. And if you're not a fan of tangents, uh, you might like this better because it's going to go a lot quicker. Maybe we'll see. Maybe I'll talk your head off because it's just me talking. So going down the news, starting with uh, Trevor Noah, uh, formerly host of The Daily Show, uh, in the middle of a gigantic global stand-up tour, is also having a book that will be coming out it is set for um, 
all audiences. Uh, that's what they say. A gorgeously il- illustrated, moving modern fable for readers of all ages about forgiveness, acceptance, and the secret to solidarity. It does not have a title yet. Um, I wonder <laughs> uh, how much comedy is this going to have? Uh, is it going to be pushed as a humorous book, but uh, or is it going to be more? Uh, family friendly, family friendly, all ages sort of novel. Um, but in either case, uh, maybe this means Trevor will get to follow up his live stand up tour uh, with a book tour, <laughs> um, which I'm sure people will like because uh, people did not want to see him leave um, The Daily Show. And uh, the Daily Show is still in the middle of having a round of guest hosts as the recording, uh, as I am recording this episode. Uh, this is Hassan Minhaj's week on the Daily Show, and which which is a a nice reminder of Netflix very stupidly canceling his show. I mean, I wasn't privy to the numbers. Uh, minutes streamed, uh, whatever metric they're currently using. But um, I think it was a bad call to get rid of Patriot Act. And uh, yeah, Hassan's just slipping back into hosting a political comedy fake news show, uh, meaning that it's not the real news. It just makes fun of cable news. Um. Yeah, like uh, like it was just the other day that he had one of those shows. Uh, so go watch that. Uh, okay, next on the news. See how quick that went? SAG Awards were this past weekend. That is the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Unsurprisingly, Everything Everywhere All at Once won for Best Cast in a Motion Picture. Also, Michelle Yeoh picked up uh, the award for female actor in a leading role. And Jamie Lee Curtis, female actor in a supporting role. Kiki Kwan, male actor in a supporting role. Um, it is, again, yet a, it, very exciting that a pretty much a comedy is leading the uh, awards season march. Also, uh, even though it's being labeled as a drama, The White Lotus won for Ensemble in a Drama Series. Uh, Abbott Elementary uh, won for Ensemble in a Comedy Series. Um, The Bear, Jeremy Allen White uh, won for Male Actor in a Comedy Series, even though I would much more think that The Bear is a drama over a comedy, but... Those running times, half hour versus an hour, are still sacrosanct. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately. Uh, Gene Smart for Hacks, who is recovering uh, recovering well, according to reports from her heart surgery. Uh, one for a female actor in a comic series. Um, and... Yeah, I yeah, I I think I'm think I think I'm pretty happy with that. Oh, Sally Field got a life uh, life achievement award uh, from the Screen Actors Guild. Um the the Oscars are still uh, in a couple weeks. 
the Spirit Rewards will be coming up. We'll see what lies ahead with all of that. And if everything everywhere all at once, A, does more sweeping in terms of award wins, but also changes the dynamic in terms of how comedy is considered amongst Oscar bait and things that are just very maudlin. Um, So next item of news, man, we're really no tangents, you know, going, uh, going left, right up center going, you know, no, no talking about astrophysics or geopolitics or anything like that. Just running down the news. If you like this format, let me know. Um, I'm going to guess no. I don't know. I, I, I like talking about the news with other people. It makes this feel less utilitarian. Um, that wasn't the sound of a text message. Woody Harrelson has gotten in some hot water for his fifth appearance on Saturday Night Live as the host. Uh, Woody uh, started out the show with the routine SNL monologue where he comes out on stage. The host comes out on stage. And, um, you know, if they're a stand-up, they probably do their uh, – a set that uh, they worked on themselves, but uh, often uh, the actors and uh, (laughs) non-performers, athletes, uh, or Elon Musk usually do something that's written for them. Um, And that can be painful or less painful. Uh, Apparently Woody was uh, incredibly high. Uh, He sort of quietly confirmed this on his appearance on Seth Meyers the Monday following his Woody Harrell's, uh, his SNL uh, appearance uh, this past Saturday. Um, The controversy comes from uh, Woody uh, telling a story slash bit about uh, a script that he supposedly read uh, while high um, that supposed a world where all the drug dealers band together um, and forced uh, all the government uh, force all the governments in the world to force everybody in the world inside and they could only go outside if they took drugs from those cartels repeatedly over and over and over. Uh, this is being quietly seen as sort of an anti-vax stance. Uh, and it's not, not one, (laughs) um, the way that Woody says it, not to mention that he, I mean, was so clearly high and, um, it, uh, felt lost or several times around his monologue. Uh, I mean, he repeatedly did say, where was I? Um, and so the, it, it's, it lands in a weird place because it's one of those sort of uh, points that are comedically made that are kind of left up in the air that if you disagree with sort of the stance of it, uh, 
the person telling the joke could be like, well, I was just kidding or joking, but I'm just asking questions. Um, which seems to uh, always have other motives behind it. It's not just asking questions, is it? Or, I mean, if you feel another way, maybe, I don't know, let me know. Um, I mean, at this point, well, we are in an endemic according to the World Health Organization. Although if you've been in and around most of America and a lot of the world, um, the pandemic has been over for a lot of people. Uh, They're just fed up with it. And uh, people continue to get COVID. People continue to die of COVID. Um, But life moves on (laughs) Um, because people want to go outside and do things. As frequent guests of the podcast, Joe Mandelkorn would say, extroverts run the world. And as one, I am deeply (laughs) sorry for all the damage that causes. Uh, Still, I, 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 I have come to this sort of realization about political comedy or essentially comedy that is taking sort of a stance that possibly could be divisive. Um, the best way for that to work is if in developing the bit, that you're um, you're more just a little bit more funny than you are right, because often when people try to crack wise about politicians or uh, hot burning topics of the day, climate change, anti-Semitism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, there is a tendency understandably so, to want to be right and make the point more than a joke. And often that can result in clapter. And the idea that comedy is supposed to start a conversation, that is that is sort of the core. If there is change to be started from a joke, it's because it starts a dialogue. Um, but I feel like clapter could possibly not start a dialogue and be a little more divisive. So um, Woody being high out of his gourd, uh, very, um, very lackadaisically (laughs) delivering the story that was very clearly made up, uh, probably didn't help. I mean, you know, maybe I I see what he's going for. Uh, He could have punched it up. Um, I mean, they got a whole team of writers. I don't know how much... He was specifically uh, responsible for that monologue uh, and how much he worked with any of the writers on staff at SNL. But um, it, it, people will probably forget about it as he was there promoting a movie and, uh, yeah, and you know, that we are where we are with COVID-19 um, and, well, on a personal level, I mean, I didn't go home for Christmas on 2021 because my sister, I still believe, is not vaccinated. Uh, but, yeah, I've seen her since. 
And uh, I guess we we just don't talk about it. Um, She did send a voice message of some anti-vax podcast. She didn't give context of which. She just sent it to my family thread. It was greatly not appreciated. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I don't know if I've mentioned this on the pod before, but isn't it odd that the people that are want to do their own research when it came to COVID um, tend to be people that never did research in school and kind of fucked around. Um, yeah, that may be a gross overgeneralization, but it, yeah, it seems those people weren't really academically minded until now because uh, they feel marginalized, uh, uh, you know, by coastal elites, or that's how they're framing it anyway. Um, well, that's the news. Uh, much quicker, huh? Uh, you know, hit me up, the Comedy Bureau Gmail, or at the Comedy Bureau, if you like this part, just me doing it. I don't. Um, I mean, it's fine. I, you know, I, maybe I, I'll, I'll think about it otherwise, uh, in the next day or two. Or maybe people will say it actually would probably be easier for me to do it this way, but uh, <laughs> I I like talking to people. Human connection is the thing that is a pillar of my life. So um, talking into a microphone in my room in my apartment feels so much more isolating when there isn't at least a person on zoom that I can go back and forth with. Um, so Mary O'Connell was our guest this week and I'm very grateful for her time that she shared right after work, uh, (laughs) and not a big fancy meeting where, um, she perhaps would get like, uh, uh, overall deal at BBC or something. Um, but you can follow Mary O'Connell, and you might want to get ready for this because, as she said, she does not have a lot of um, brain consistency. On Instagram, Mary with the gold shoes. Uh, on Twitter, at Mary Does Gigs. Of course, on OnlyFans, at Mare Bear, Mare Bear. That's spelled M A R E B A R. M-A-R-E-B-A-R, Mare Bear. Mare Bear, uh, you can watch OnlyFans TV, OFTV. And it's trying to brand it a little nicer. Um, it's completely safe for work. Uh, you can watch their OnlyFans creators fun. This season that is specifically for comedy. Very much looks like Last Comic Standing for free at OFTV. Um just I'll, it'll be in the show notes, but if you type in OFTV, um, creators fun, it, it, it should come up and you can, you can see like, a again, a British last comic standing, uh, minus the house. They don't have, I don't think they have the house. Mary has a solo show that she is, uh, working on and getting ready to play, uh, all over the UK called money princess. Go to, all her socials to find more info for that. 
Uh, I'm Jay Kroger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com, at the Comedy Bureau across socials. You can find me on Instagram at Not the Supermarket, on Twitter at MFJ Kroger. So many great causes to support at this time. So I please ask you would support those, but if you have money and generosity left over, please support the Comedy Bureau to keep it running for years and years and years. Um, Mary didn't have anything to say at the end here other than it was a lot of fun and uh, she wishes everyone the best. And you probably go see her shows, uh, whether you're in London, anywhere in the UK, or whenever inevitably she comes to the States. Um, Go watch her there. Uh, Live comedy and comedy of all kinds is happening. And as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Grineo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.